what happens is because you get discarded, the fear comes up, right? The anxious attachment, whatever it is, the chaos, the fear, the shock, you release a lot of adrenaline and cortisol, and then you start to become addicted to that with this person. And so it's an intense release and an intense, usually sexual reunion. And then these bonding happens in the state of trauma. My name is Evan Meyer, and you're listening to the Undomesticate podcast, a show where we explore how to deprogram domestication, restore the health of our body, mind, and spirit, and return to our sovereign roots. Welcome to episode eight of the Undomesticate podcast with Jaguar Heart. Jag is a holistic therapist and coach who has supported thousands of people in healing from trauma, self-limiting beliefs, and relational pain through his direct, pragmatic, and no-bullshit approach to confronting what is holding us back in life. Now, I had been connecting with Jag over social media for a number of months before even inviting him on the podcast because I just really appreciated his straight-to-the-point takes on masculinity, relationship, trauma, and just life in general. And once we actually sat down to record this podcast, I could tell it was going to be a long one because he just had so much unique insights, information, and experience to bring to the table. We ended up talking for over 90 minutes and we covered a huge range of topics. Some of the things we talked on today's podcast include the biological and psychological reasons we fall into and get addicted to toxic relationship patterns, why red pill in the modern men's movement is mostly nonsense, how sexual polarity has been inverted in modern society and why it's destroying the family unit, why men want to feel respected before feeling loved in relationship, why Jag is living the monk mode or married lifestyle, why neither of us spend time with men who chase women, the societal and cultural impact of raising children without consistent fathers, how being shamed can be a powerful tool for transformation, and so much more. And if you do subscribe, go ahead and leave a review. I recently had some internet trolls trying to destroy my credibility by giving me a bunch of one-star reviews. So if you're a genuine listener and get something out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me to help drown them out. All right, let's end this intro and get into episode eight with Jaguar Hard. All right, folks, welcome back to the Undomesticate podcast. I'm here today with Jaguar Hart. Uh, he's someone that I've been following really on social media mostly. He's over in Australia, so we've never had the opportunity to cross paths, but a guy that I've been following for the last couple of years uh, and just creating content that feels really aligned with my message, essentially because of the kind of no bullshit. It's just straight to the point. It's direct. It's contrarian, but not on purpose, not just to be contrarian, but just because it speaks to a deeper layer of truth that sometimes gets stepped over. Uh, oftentimes in social media and the Instagram, I find, and maybe you agree with this Jaguar, like there's, there's these trends that tend to emerge about, especially on this kind of pop psych realm about what people label things. And, you know, especially around the stuff I've seen you, uh, writing lately about, you know, narcissism and, and relational stuff. And, and that's really an area that I, I believe you do most of your work in is around relationship. Is that kind of what you'd say you primarily focus on? Relationship, the mind, trauma, um, you know, men and women. I work with women. So I've actually worked with more women than men. Most people think I'm only men, but yeah, just to speak into that, you know, I love your stuff because I think we address things in the same way. It's not a reaction. So it's like people go like all dark and shadow or love and light. It's not, we don't, and I really uh, resonate with your work because we seem quite similar and that's why I love your work so much that it's like, it's this no bullshit, it's straight to the point, but not as a reaction, 
to some opposing viewpoint. You know, it's like people say, um, if someone says you you always want to be right. And I'm like, well, you always want to be right about me always wanting to be right. You know, so it's like, it's, that's a reaction. So it's not that reactive space. It's more like there's actually quite a middle ground to it, which I really resonate with your work. So yeah, well, I think we're in sort of a similar realm in a way around that. Yeah. I oftentimes find contrary to what Instagram and social media loves, like they, the algorithm loves react reactivity and reaction. Right. And there's not a lot of level headedness. I mean, there is a pull to want to even the things that I say that aren't reactionary, they get taken out of context and people have massive reactions to them because they think I'm taking some like red pill stance or some sort of shit when I'm just trying to speak honest, honestly from experiences that I've had and uh, you know what I see in other people and just try to from a really grounded level headed place, which for whatever reason uh, in social media, that seems to be like taboo uh, to, to just to, <laughs> to speak the truth. <laughs> Yeah, it's me. <laughs> when I talk about um, emotional reactions, you know, I like to deal with facts and statistics and evidence and research. And a lot of the time, like you, you know, I'll have an Instagram post and it's, it's the large majority is female um, that react in a certain way. And I'm just like, if an Instagram post stretches you that far, like, you know, you've got some work to do. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a tile on a screen, you know, like settle down for a lot of the part. And it's like people, you can see the de-evolution of communication between people because it's become more and more evident that it's like these triggers happen, they fly off the handle. There's no seeking understanding, seeking context. It's like, this has gone through my perception. It's twisted into the shape that I needed to. And now I'm going to attack you. You know, I've been told by women that I should kill myself, that I'm a narcissist, I'm a misogynist, just because I, I don't agree with feminism and not from a point of equal rights. But what it's done to the family unit, what it's done to masculinity from the deeper, deeper layers of it. I'm like, so these women that are telling me to kill myself, it hasn't been heaps. It's only been a few, or I'm a narcissist or a misogynist or that I hate women. I'm like, so you're the display of femininity that you're saying is the answer to the problem with toxic masculinity. I'm like, you see that there's a bit of a disconnect there. That's not really a very healthy display of it. So yeah, I get, and I say in, you know, the groups that I run, I'm like, if you want to see where evidence really triggers people just go to my comment section and you'll see enough of the way that that's dealt with and in the groups that you do run i mean yeah i guess to that point um i i always say like anything that you take to the extreme you become the thing that you hate like you just become the opposite of the thing that you initially stood out for which is why if you look at it kind of in like a circle form on the other ends of the spectrum they almost meet again at the bottom of the circle right and that's that's feminism that's you know the hyper masculinity the guys that men going their own way are the dudes that are are the most worried about what women think about them and about what people thinking about them even though they think that they're driven the furthest away from that kind of culture or or, or they've blue uh red pilled or whatever like that kind of stuff it's just all it's all nonsensical and it's 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 actually quite surprising how large the lack of self-awareness in that is like it seems so easy to see when you're on the outside of it but when you're people are steeped in that stuff it's like how could you not see that you are literally it's like a caricature and i think that's largely what social media has created is is kind of caricatures but uh kind of off the social media topic and onto you know I, i'm curious you said you you work mostly with women and is that in a one-on-one -on -one capacity or is that in groups or is it kind of both or how does that look 
Yeah. So I've worked mostly with women, right? So I've worked with, I, I think I lost count at about 2000. So I worked specifically with sexual trauma for the first couple of years of my career. Um, and that was really interesting to do that. And then things shift and change and you adapt. And then I started move, to move towards men. And, you know, the numbers are probably getting close to even now, but um, I've done more groups and things like that. But the women in sexual trauma is a real gift for me to work with that because I got to understand just the wounding that that creates. And because I'm a man, I was able to hold the space for women to transcend that, um, for them to be able to heal at the hands of being violated by a man and then to be held through a, um, a situation where they were able to be vulnerable and open up and move through the programming of sexual trauma and to be able to release that, to see, um, the deeper layers and the deeper tendrils to that. So it was a really beautiful process. The reason why I get asked this a lot, you know, why I moved away from it. And it's not that I've moved away. I just don't make an active thing for it. I've got multiple female clients in one-on-one -on -one at the moment. I don't do groups of women. Um, I do groups for men because there's more power in the group for men, um, than just one-on-one -on -one because. I'm sure you know this, being able to be seen by brothers and held is very powerful. Whereas one-on-one, -on -one, it's kind of like a little bit more, it's a bit more hidden. So they're not, you know, really stepping out for accountability. And so men I work with in groups and women I do one-on-one because -on -one, that allows the woman to really go into being held in a, in a sense of safety. So yeah, it's mainly just one-on-one -on -one at the moment with women. Yeah, I want to touch just briefly on this thing around having, you know, you having worked with so many women recovering or, or healing, I guess I should say, from, you know, sexual traumas, which is so widely ubiquitous. I don't think I've had a partner in my life who hasn't experienced some sort of like quite heinous sexual trauma in her life. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, like for anybody listening to this or maybe partners of women uh, that have gone through something like this that, you know, would like to create that opportunity for healing in their relationship how do you i know you're a therapist right like a trained therapist as far as i as far coach as i know therapist. a coach and yeah, therapist coach. so so yeah so but how would so how would like the lay person or, or or man in a relationship that maybe care cares deeply about his woman and her healing and stands for it uh help her heal through some of these pretty big wounds you know more because it can really fracture a relationship when this stuff isn't managed well at least that's been my experience yeah one of the big things that comes as an in as a reaction to um sexual trauma is a fear of attack and the wound of violation so these are going to be two really main themes around it and so quite often because what will happen is there's a construct that develops which is a subservient and dominance construct and so quite often what the woman will have attracted in is the dominant or domineering. So dominance and domineering are different constructs, right? I looked, I think a man should be dominant, you know, physically, uh, mentally, intellectually, but not be dangerous with it. Domineering is more like, you know, Joffrey from Game of Thrones is an example. He's kind of a perfect archetype for someone that's domineering that is quite small and weak and feeble, but wants to just use his position, which isn't earned, it's given as a way to dominate people. So it becomes quite unhealthy. So what happens in this space is the woman, because it's usually, she's usually been violated by a man. And what will happen is that's the way that she will understand love from the child psychology aspect. And so quite often we see women can be, you know, hypersexual or they can be completely shut down in this world. And so what they'll bring in, depending on the nature and how violent it was, 
this subservient dominant archetype will start to, or construct will start to act out. So she'll bring in men, whether it's bosses, boyfriends, you know, cousins, uh, whatever it is that will try to dominate her and control her. So one of the ways that we have to look at this is firstly, the type of relationship she's in at the time. Is it a healthy one? Is it an unhealthy one? If it's an unhealthy one. She needs to be aware of these constructs that are playing out, but the deep programming underneath it is I'm powerless. Okay. So this is really important. So if someone's actually experiencing and they sit back and say, I'm powerless, the I'm powerless is the subconscious programming that they're in. Now this will then start to develop the behavioral uh, construct of subservience and dominance. And then that's going to start to bring in the men that are going to treat them or just want sex from them, et cetera. So the way that I would recommend that if they're in a healthy relationship, there's two aspects. And I'm sure you'll know this anyway, um, Evan, about what we need to bring is security and safety. So security is protection and provision and safety is love and connection. And so what we need to understand, what the man needs to understand is learning how to touch the woman through a sense of innocence without wanting sex from her. So intimacy practices are really important. So touching with clothes on, whatever the love language is, et cetera, start to learn the language that makes her feel safe. And then, you know, if she's been sexually wounded before, this will start to create a new experience for her. On the other side of it, you may get someone that's had it that really just needs chaos and destruction before they burn themselves down into the ground. Um, because some women that have had this can be very chaotic. So for the man... That. What was that? Sorry. Say a little bit more about that, that piece around like needing, needing chaos and destruction to burn into the ground. Sure. So quite often there can be such a deep wound that it'd be very difficult for them to even look at. So I did a post this morning, which is, which said, if you don't leave me, I'll find someone else that will. Meaning that they might have a good man. And if he's not chaotic and destructive or buying into that or playing into that, you know, need for intensity, because what happens is when the chaos and destruction comes in, they push away. So they create the separation so they can have an intense reunion because they mistake fear and chaos for love and intimacy. And that's the way that they grew up. So they're just trying to recreate that and they do that. And then what this creates is a sense of instability. It's the process of idealized, devalued, discard and hoover, which is this process isn't specific to narcissists, but it is a tactic of a malignant narcissist. Now, I'm not saying that women that have sexual trauma are malignant narcissists, but I'm saying that they can use a method like that because quite often what happens is when they're a little girl, they will have this sexual encounter with a parent or an uncle or whatever, a brother. And then if they bring it to them the next day, they can be discarded and say, don't talk about it. You better not ever tell anyone. And so they get used to this idea that they're idealized. So they're groomed then the action happens and they're devalued and then told, get away from me. And then when the person, the perpetrator is ready to come back, they'll start to pull them back in through the hoovering cycle. They then mirror that in their adult relationships, which forms the instability, chaos, you know, destructive nature that can happen from that. And if there's no problems, then they'll certainly try to create one. It's merely, but it's what I have, what we really have to look at here is that it's an adaptation you know, any sort of malignant narcissism or malignant borderline is a reaction to complex PTSD. So if you look at it from, un, from the underlying terms of it, which is CPTSD, you deal with the CPTSD, you can start to um, maybe work on the malignant aspects. But if you're not a malignant narcissist, because they just can't look at themselves, 
what will happen is um, they'll start to dissolve this programming over time as they start to notice their behavior. And then their fear and excitement and chaos starts to become less attractive as they get a little bit older. Wow, that's a lot. And it sounds like that's something that you've really, I mean, obviously so well, so well articulated and obviously you've, you've like experienced this a number of times or, or, or see it pretty pervasively and it seems to follow the same structure, the same order. I work a lot in the realm of nervous system and it's what I hear in that is our nervous system gets attuned to a certain way of being like chaos is the, is almost becomes homeostasis, right? Where we actually feel more comfortable in the discomfort. We, we feel more comfortable in the chaos and then we just continue to recreate that pattern everywhere in our life. And it's a war path and it's in my experience been, and I've seen in others too, just, yeah, it's been a real challenge to to be with that from a place of not getting because there is that, you know, you get sucked into the tornado, you get sucked into the energy. And I was, I was, uh, I created a post the other day. I think that you saw about the people that we keep around us, right, and how they spin us into storms, right, and and the toxicity of of people. Because there's there's a few different camps or beliefs that, like, I don't personally believe. I guess I would say that people are inherently toxic, but I definitely do believe that we have to set boundaries. And this is something you talk a lot about, energetic boundaries about people that uh, can have a pretty big impact in our lives, you know, negatively, obviously, because of CT, of CPTSD, because of, you know, all these different types of um, kind of labels that we can put on it, but essentially people that are, you know, hurting, that are, have been hurt, that are, are going through things. And, um, and, and need healing. And, and I've always had a, go ahead. I was going to say, I just wanted to touch on the tornado aspects. It's actually, um, it forms an addiction. It becomes mm. an addiction. So you have your peaks and troughs of your moods. So your troughs would be where you're relaxed and parasympathetic. Your peaks will be, um, like your sympathetic arousal. When someone engages in the idealized devalue discard cycle, that's how you trauma bond someone to you. And I see this with Men and women do it. And what happens, and it's happened to me in previous relationships where the woman played me off against someone else, an ex, an ex, and then she trauma bonded me to her and I just wasn't aware of what was going on. This was a few years ago now that it happened. And what happens is because you get discarded, the fear comes up, right? The anxious attachment, whatever it is, the chaos, the fear, the shock. You release a lot of adrenaline and cortisol, and then you start to become addicted to that with this person. And so it's an intense release and an intense, usually sexual reunion. And then these, this bonding happens in the state of trauma. This is how a parent trauma bonds a child and how a adult trauma bonds another adult to them. They create instability. So they're not sure whether they're coming or going. They're always on edge. And when you're in fear, you're easier to program. And so they'll push you away, discard you completely leave you in shock it's like oh my god like what's just going on which is a form of ptsd when you're vulnerable for a few days then they pull you back in they'll give you sex or love or whatever you need that creates a bonding chemical of oxytocin which is mixed in with the fear chemicals of adrenaline and cortisol and it becomes a powerful cocktail for physical addiction really makes uh relationships seem appealing (laughs) Yeah, to the person that loves chaos, man, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's just so wild how there's that mix of of really like the neurobiology and everything going on that literally creates an addictive pattern and a cycle that's so far beyond what we classically see as or would think in our our minds as love. Like we, it gets co-opted into actual. It's like getting a hit of crack or or whatever. You know, it ends up being the same same thing. We keep going back for the hit, even though it's hurting us, and we don't even understand why. And, and yeah. to that piece around fear and like we are running a program at that point, right? We're not even, I don't even think oftentimes we're aware. I think a lot of people or maybe even all people listening to this podcast or watching this can recognize a relationship or a time where they like, it's like they came, came out of a fucking, you know, a, a swamp after a relationship, just shaking their head. Like what the fuck just happened? Like, where was I? What was going on? Who was I? Right. Yeah. And so, kind of want to talk a little bit more about relationship um being someone that you that works with people so well so abundantly i guess and, and have worked with both men and women in relationship what do you think the biggest issue like right now today that people are facing in relationships yeah it's a it's a really good point i'd say the biggest issue is the inversion of our natural essences of feminism femininity and masculinity and so it's like women are leading relationships the mummy's boy, um, which is a really a result of, uh, feminism because it split the family up and the women went, woman went into the workforce, which is fine. If that's what they want to do, that's okay. Um, it's an interesting thing because I get slammed a lot because of the way I talk about feminism, but we're in a society where there's women, there's nowhere that women don't have the same rights as men, you know? And it's like, it's kind of a moot point and people talk about the pay gap, but I mean, that's been largely disproved many times already. Um, around that. And so people think that it's like this patriarchal dominance. You know, I was researching on the American Psychological Association website. Patriarchy that they talk about is 1 million men. 1 million. That's who they define as the patriarchy. If you look at that, at the global population of 8 billion, it's 0.0001250% of men that represent a patriarchy. So we don't really live in one. I feel that it's more of an excuse. But if we look at, and this is really important, we look at custody of children, 80 to 90% go to the mother. Teachers are 80% female and therapists are 85% female. So we're looking at our boys, they're being raised for the majority by females. Now that's fine if um, you wanna raise a largely effeminate male, that's okay. And there's a reason why they want that to destroy the family. It's not even if a father around is a significant factor, it's the, the determining factor in the health of a child, not a factor, the factor. And so if we get, if we look at, you know, a daughter that grows up without a father, she grew up with daddy issues. We look at a son without a father and he grows up being becoming effeminate. And so the biggest issue I find in this is we have, you know, I'm 40 years old now. So it's like, I see that men my age and younger in their thirties and forties are up against this challenge of you know, being put down, emasculated, and that being celebrated through feminism or femininity being the cure-all and answer-all to everything, and masculinity being this toxic, you know, aspect that just, you know, is basically unnecessary. And so I find the, the, the biggest issue is because we've got a lot of mummies boys out there and, you know, simps and manipulative beta males that are just using women for sex, and um, then we have a lot of women that are like, well, I'm a strong independent that don't need no man. Right. And so this has created this split. So it's about really the way that I see it is you fix men, you fix society. 
right? And that doesn't mean that men are the problem, the social constructs and the social programming is the problem, which we have to wake up from first. And then I think, and I, I don't like to quote him because I'm not really a fan of him, but Andrew Tate said, you know, if women act badly, men act badly, you know? And it's like, that's where the inversion has come from, where it's, you know, this OnlyFans, you know, promiscuity, hypersexuality of women, sexual liberation. It's not um, necessarily that it's, you can do that if you want, if that's what you feel like doing. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not judging it. But it reduces a woman's ability to pair bond if she has a large amount of partners because of the oxytocin uptake. So you're looking at like um, so many obstacles to get to the point of rebalancing it. You restore masculinity to its traditional sense or a new modern sense then the family starts to shift and change. Because when a man goes from boy psychology to man psychology, he's usually going to want to have a family and get married at that point. That's where I'm at at this point in my life. And what happens is if you fix men, you fix families, you fix families, you fix society. And so that's where I see that it's coming from at the moment is that MGTOW, feminism, they're the two biggest problems for relationships at the moment. And to that point around men stepping into, you know, traditional or some new paradigm of masculinity, what does that look like in particular to you? How would you define that? Yeah. So firstly, you've got to clean up your boy's psychology. So you have to start to learn to adhere to things like discipline, morals and values. So morals are social values are individual needs are personal. And what happens is like boundaries, as we said, I actually think I saw a post this morning. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, and he said, masculinity is marriage or celibacy. And I actually agree with that in a lot of ways, because I think men should go down a path of almost like chastity, like I think women should, because when you start to spill that out everywhere, that's where you become destructive. And so if you look at what masculinity isn't, it's not someone that's needy, someone that's erratic, someone that's unstable, someone that objectifies women, someone that's just sleeping around all the time, someone that's pleasure driven. So we look at what masculinity isn't, and then we start to look at what masculinity is which is more like we're more analytical, you know, we're more disciplined, we're more around integrity, we're more around building things. So we have to start harnessing these natural things that we look towards, harnessing our aggression in a healthy way, you know, learning how to defend ourselves, learning how to be confident and competent, you know, learning how to lead by inspiration rather than ruling by fear. So these typical traits, I, um, I'll read some out because I taught this in my masculinity group the other week and it's it's quite an important thing to know because it's I looked at um you know one of the biggest couple of the biggest men's groups out there and they said the traits and I'll just read 10 I'll get through them quickly of healthy masculinity are embracing and expressing a full range of emotions but you know except anger you know that's the social aspect of it validating the feelings of others being willing to cry being vulnerable asking for help valuing the lives of girls and women Treating all people equally and anti-competition, which competitiveness is part of masculinity. Never ever using control or violence. Never using gender-based attributes to bully or discriminate. I mean, because this is even on a list of healthy masculinity, that is automatically discriminatory anyway, because if it wasn't, it wouldn't be on a list of what contributes to healthy masculinity. It wouldn't be on there at all. So that was, I found that interesting. Never use language to denigrate women and girls. Having an interest in women and girls outside of sex, so having female friends and female mentors. Now, if we look at that, 
And then there was a study by Harvard. I think it was 25 years or something like that. Let me just jump in. Who, who, the, who wrote that? Who wrote that guideline? It's right there. A collaboration of three or four of the top men, men's groups that I've seen out there. And oh, these were the common traits that I brought together. So okay. it, was a, it, was, it was a masculine-based men's group. Hey, y'all. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Jag. I just wanted to pop in here and let you know about 13 Pines' latest men's program launching in January. Elemental. Elemental is a four-month initiation for men using the elements of fire, earth, wind, and water. We're going to use these as archetypal cornerstones to develop the qualities of what we call conscious masculine leadership. We'll be meeting every week online covering topics such as integral leadership, daily practices, shadow work, sexual polarity, sacred purpose, and much more. The program will complete with a five-day all-inclusive immersion where you will be initiated into the 13 Pines Way. Now we've been live for a few weeks and we've actually only got four spots left in the program. So if you're at all interested, go ahead, go over to 13pines.com forward slash elemental and apply. Again, that's 13pines spelled out dot com forward slash elemental. All right, now let's get back to the episode with Jaguar Heart. So then I went to, I, I was looking at what are the typical stereotypical aspects of femininity and masculinity. So we have the feminine, nurturing, agreeable, collaborative, adjusting, modest, emotional, warm, restrained, interdependent, relational, patient, connected, follower, context dependent, and humble. Those lists are almost identical. They're just different words. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the Harvard study for stereotypical masculinity, it's self-reliant, assertive, competitive, influencing, confident, analytical, brilliant, decisive, independent, individual, self-promotional, risk-taker, separate, leader, context-independent, and bold. So these are long-term studies that they did to, to integrate that. So it's interesting to note that these men's groups out there are largely promoting women to be like, uh, men to be like women, sorry. So there's nothing, and one thing that I just need to say is there's nothing wrong with feelings. There's nothing wrong with honoring your feelings and going through it, but it's when that starts to spill out into like, I need you to hold space in my feelings. And I had that with a client recently where her partner was saying, you know, she was going through a hard time and he was like, I just need you to hold space for my feelings. And she's going through a brutal time, right? Like real, like the hardest time of her life. And he's complaining that he, that she's not holding space for him. And I'm like, that right there is part of the problem. And he's not going through much. It's just a normal day. Yeah. You know, there's something that I work with uh, on my clients a lot. And it's like this disparity of that the idea of equality in a relationship actually doesn't exist. And that's not, we get caught up like in this, I think a lot of us have been programmed men and women that, okay, I hold space for you for 30 minutes and then you hold space for me for 30. It actually doesn't, I've never seen it work in a positive light that way. Like yeah. men need other men to hold their, especially so there's just certain emotions that women just can't hold. I've, I've figured out. It doesn't matter if she wants to, it doesn't matter if she says she can, I haven't like their nervous system just does isn't built the same as ours. It doesn't have the same tensile, rugged kind of strength because of hundreds of thousands of years of having to do heinous things to other humans, to animals, to the you know what I mean that we've had to do that generally women haven't has built this kind of structure to our nervous system where we can handle large amounts of energy directed at us in a way that ninety nine percent of women can't. And we've been raised in this society where we believe that, especially like new agey kind of conscious relating, where it's like, we're going to, we're going to 
you're going to hold me, then I'm going to hold you. And I've just recognized that I've tried that shit and it has never, ever fucking worked. It works up to a point. I can get a few minutes, but it's like, okay, actually, you know what? I am going to hold your stuff and then I'm going to take whatever you brought me that I can't be with or whatever's going on in my life and bring it to my men because they can hold it a lot better and because they understand me in a way that you don't. You'll never understand the the burden of my life of like, pursuing a purpose and the letdowns in that and the and the and the struggles and the war in my world that I feel like I'm facing when I'm trying to live into my masculinity I can't bring that to a woman and the biggest mistake I see with men is that they they do you know and so there's yeah. there's this like there's a, a lack of reciprocation that guys get butthurt about and then they feel like it's unfair and yeah. I just it took me years to realize like, oh, this is all on me. No wonder she's like scared or turned off or, you know, resentful or annoyed or uh, emasculates me in, in, in tiny little subconscious ways. Even a good woman, she's not, she's not purposely trying to do that, but there's just like this, it creates this discord in the relationship uh, that I have noticed. And then once I started working with a lot more men, just seeing how uh, common that is and there's there's this resentment that builds in men because I think and maybe you have some some points on this but so many men have a lack of brotherhood that they can bring this kind of stuff to right they can actually bring some of this it's like it is vulnerable you know what I mean and and I think a lot of men would be really surprised how like adept and also how willing other men are to hold some other grief, sadness, anger, rage, whatever, the whole spectrum of emotions, you know, and I've, I certainly went through that on my own. I, I felt completely isolated. Like there was only so much of me that I could show other men. And then the rest was very armored. Right. And yeah. then, um, and then what would happen was it would come out sideways or come out unconsciously or seething in my relationships and I just had nowhere to take that energy and then it would come out in bad ways in relationship and just end up hurting my partner and pushing her away and closing her down or criticism and all the kind of shit that I really now understand I needed to work out myself but also like be witnessed in by other men because I think men do need that like they need that and and we've only ever been to your point the majority of our life are authority figures unless we have a really conscious good father or men in our family have been women teachers you know administrators whatever whatever it is all the women that these these places where we would typically bring those kind of things we haven't been able to bring to men or learned how to do that in a way that's safe yeah it's a really good point you know my father died in uh february and i had one day um where i took it to my partner but like she went away for a bit and then I spent that time where I was on my own and I would create like a process and a structure for myself to go into it where I would listen to a song and I'd cry, I'd write out all the memories from him, everything else. And I did this for like a week, you know, a week and a bit. And my grieving process was the painful part of it was done. And then the, the beautiful thing about it after that, and you know, I've got a, a pretty wide set of tools. You know, so it's like, this isn't to say that every person that's grieving should do this. If you haven't really gone down the path of a deep sense of self-exploration, do it with other men for sure. Because one of the most important things for us as men is to have a sense of belonging and acceptance. And it's not just about being the toughest, the smartest, you know, the richest. It's when you can break in front of other men and go, I'm fucking struggling. 
and cry or break down or whatever it is. And they're like, man, I've got you. You know, that bond that's created through that, it's like, same as if we went to raw as an example, you know, we're meant to go to war together and, and my dog was dreaming. So you might, that's <laughs> no worries, man. Yeah, you're um, and so when we have those bonds, it's like, I've got you back. Right. I've got you back. And you know, you hear that we want this from women. We want our ride or die. We want a woman that's got my back. It's not really meant to be like that. You've got to have brothers that have your back that it's like, when you need me, I'm there. No question. I was just having a conversation with a mate via voice message. And we were talking about like, you know, he was like, I'm so glad you told me not to take all my stuff to my partner and bring it to you because it's so much better. And I'll voice message him back and I'll go, bro, I'm just about to unload on some stuff that's going on. So I'm kind of out of therapist mode and I'm just into bro mode and I just need to get this out. And then he'll just reflect back and it's like being seen and heard and understood by a bro, it just makes the bond like that. And then, you know, you've got a brother. It's like, you know, one of the things I, I used to, he's still a really good mate. He's probably going to be a lifelong best friend, but we went in two different ways and we got into some trouble one time and I stuck by him. And he goes, why'd you stick by me? And I said, well, a good mate bails you out of jail. Your best mate's sitting next to you. And it's like, you know, it's that brotherhood. It's like, okay, well, you know, let's do it if that's going to happen. And so I think that's really important. When you speak to it's so important to have brotherhood, even if it's a men's group that you pay to be a part of, do it. The bonds of brotherhood is so, it's the, it's the thing. You know, you can do your EMDR, your embodiment work, all of that's important, but we don't heal in isolation. We don't. And then you'll find that a lot of men that are very needy and like that with their women don't have brotherhood. And when you get brotherhood, then your woman will probably start complaining because she doesn't get much of you anymore. And it's like, that's cool, but you're, you're so right, man. You've like brotherhoods. It's the thing. It's so healing, man. So healing. It, it is the thing. And, and I, I ran a, a retreat last summer and I had a few of my clients who had one-on-one -on -one clients who had never been around men beyond like crushing beers around the fire. Or, you know what I mean? Just bullshit, bullshit. And which is actually fine too. I've had that type of brotherhood and it serves a purpose to a degree. But, um, what I find with men in particular is, is if you really want to, to take it to that place, at least initially, like it blew these guys' minds. You have to create some sort of ritual or, or kind of container around it because oftentimes for so many men, that's what it takes for them to actually open and get vulnerable because they've received, you know, I can speak from my own experience, just there wasn't, that was not allowed, right? That wasn't, there was not really permission for me to go there. So I had to, I mean, and I'm so grateful that that all happened because it, it took me on this journey to, to meet good men. But, um, I want to speak to one point and it's a post that you made a little while ago and it all kind of wraps into this. And one of the things that you said in regards to kind of this uh, crisscrossing of femininity and masculinity and, and how it relates um, to holding space and all that kind of stuff. You said, if you want a masculine man, stop trying to force him to be feminine. And I think that's yeah. such a powerful thing that we see uh, that's so pervasive, uh, even relationally, like even women I find are oftentimes running the program of what they think the new you know, how men should relate to them. And then they, I have the experience of them kind of being disgusted by getting the things that they're asking for in relationship. Cause it's not really what they want. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Cause this is like that, that post, I, th I think I lost like two and a half thousand followers <laughs> in, in a few days. It was like, oh, and like that is that one. And then there's like, um, I think it was femininity as a woman is good. Femininity in, in a man is not. And that was a, as another huge one. I actually had to turn the comments off.
because I was just getting, I was getting just, just slaughtered by people for it. And I remember where I was, I was at the gym and I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Did it, threw it up, didn't think anything of it. And it just turned out to be super controversial. And I probably should have worded a little bit better saying, you know, too much femininity in a man is not right. Because, um, why that's important is, you know, when someone, when a woman says to me, I want my man to feel deeply and be vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, then you want a girlfriend. He's not going to be reliable in situations when it's difficult, where he's going to be the rock for you, where he's like, you come home on a Friday night and he's sensual dancing, rubbed in coconut oil or something like that. He's not going to find that attractive, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not an attractive, well, it's not, certainly not to me. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'd rather be out doing jujitsu or something hard, right? Like that's what I'm going to be doing. And so the reason why they want that is because the men in our society have gone MGTOW red pill way, which just completely devalue women massively. So they're not going to feel safe with them. So the automatic adaptation to that is to try and find something that's similar to them because they don't understand the opposing force. And it's, it goes the other way too. Men have largely not, they don't understand women so much and the constant demand from the woman on them to be understood. The only way they can go to consciously try to understand that is to say, I just need you to be like me. So let's go do girly things. Let's sit down and let's talk and let's gossip and do all that. And I'm like, at the end of the day, like, I, d I don't want to do that. I've done all my stuff during the day. I've gone out, I've, you know, built my stuff. I've helped other people. I've been on point I've, I've been on purpose. I've trained, I've like gotten all my energy out. Cause as men, it's like, we're meant to handle intensity, but we don't want intensity. I want to be empty. I want to be still and empty. That's why we do the intense things so we can achieve emptiness. You know, exactly. that's like kind of the paradox. We do all the hard shit because we think at the end of that, we'll be able to rest and relax as emptiness. Same thing. Yeah. It's like working your ass off in jujitsu, challenging your body, getting choked out and stuff like that. There's a feeling of relief that happens after that. That's pretty unparalleled to anything else. You know what I mean? And I would say that same thing with a hard day at work or, or, or doing something hard. I've always been an advocate for men and people are going to get so sick of hearing this of at least one period in your life, just doing hard physical labor as a job. Like it could be a summer job. It could be whatever. I did years of it. You know what I mean? And that is not only is there a lot of brotherhood in those jobs because it's primarily men, but it's just learning how to work fucking hard and like use your body in a way that you can touch that emptiness. And I would say, uh, that's a bit tangential, but to that piece around, you know, uh, the women wanting men to gossip or whatever and sit around and, you know, smell flowers. Men also hold that in the way that they want women to be like fully in integrity all the time and be on time and like all the things that they, you know, I, I work with so many men that are so frustrated with their partners because they're like, fuck, she said this one thing and then she did the other and she and I'm like, well, then you should date a dude if this is the stuff that you want. If you want a guy that's like, you know, if you want someone that's going to be like you and like yeah. do everything that they said they were going to do and remember everything they said and like and and be one emotion at a time and not flip flop and, and all that kind of stuff, then go fucking date a dude. Uh, and, yeah. and they're like, oh, shit, because we're not really celebrating the differences in that. Instead, we're finding ways to pick apart why that the opposite sex is not more like us, right? And I don't know, somehow that got all, and, and of course we could bring in the whole conversation about just like the dissolution of, of even this, even this conversation is so contrarian right now in terms of even gendering anything at all that it's all become kind of this muddled puddle of human that we don't really have anywhere to plant our flag or to stand on either side of like, 
um, of any of this, right? And then we're wondering why our relationships are struggling. We're wondering why we're in these non, like zero polarity, non-sexualized relationships are existing because we're trying to either be too much like the other or make the other be more like us. And I'm so curious. One thing that you said, like after a hard day of work, I don't want to do all this shit. I don't want to go out and do all this stuff. Like how many men would feel so much better and how the relationship would be so much healthier if they're just willing to say no to the shit that they fucking say yes to because they think it's going to make her happy. Yeah, man. That's, you know, it, that's such an important point, right? And it's like, she might not like you when you say no, but she'll respect you. And as men, we want respect. Women want love, men want respect. It doesn't mean that you disrespect women. I had this person just going at me the other day. She's like, you're disgusting. You think women don't deserve respect. I said, I actually didn't say that. I said, men want respect and women want love first and foremost. That's acknowledgement for our contribution to what we bring. We want to be the hero. We want to like our woman to say, fuck, you do a good job and you just handle shit. You know, I've had someone say to me and former partner say, the thing I love the most about you is you just handle shit. When you say you're going to get something done, you get something done. We were together for nearly three years and there was one time in three years that I wasn't available or reliable for her. And that was something happened at three o'clock in the morning. That was it. And my phone was off. So it was like, it was, it was just not possible for me to be there. And so that's a really important part. And part of that is to say, like, I saw this post once and it said, test him a thousand times, then a thousand times more. Now I, I use this example a lot. It was on a, a feminine polarity account. I was like, are you fucking serious? Test me a thousand times. That's once a day for six years. I'm, that's abuse. That's manipulation and abuse. I don't want that. Like test me every now and then. Sure. That's fine to make sure I'm solid. But it's like one of the, the ways it's like, you know, babe, I'm not really in the space for this right now, but if you give me an hour or two, let me get some alone time. I'll come back and I'll listen to what you have to say. Cause I want to be available for you because I know it's important that you feel heard and understood. You say that to your woman, she probably won't bring the problem back in an hour. Most yep. of the time anyway. And it's like, this is what I, I also teach men this. It's like love and connection, love and connection, love and connection. That's what they want. And so you reflect back what they say. And then one of the things I always say is, I really hear you, I understand, you know, I can feel what you're going through and you're upset. Do you mind if I just hold you for a minute? And then we can deal with what the problem is after that. That's Give actually probably a bigger gift to her that like you're, that's a deeper cut at what she actually needs in the moment. Cause it's oftentimes not the, the noise as I would call it. Not that the subject isn't important, but oftentimes it's just these nascent flutters of stuff that's coming and going and we all have that it's just like i was saying like your emotions are just they're like indigestion is what my teacher would always say they're just like you're not you don't if you focus on them so intensely then it's amplified and you're feeling it all the time and i think the same is available in partnership and this is so easy to take conversation like this and be like oh like you just shouldn't listen to your woman it's like no that's not what i'm saying but what i am saying is that oftentimes you can disintegrate most of the stuff that needs to be cleared by yeah holding them in silence and right and that's a form of leadership and I would also say just to that point you made, like the respect and love is, is being respected. I think any man listening to this knows that feeling when it's like you did a fucking good job. And that is, a, those are words of love. Like I would rather receive that more than like, I love you. I really would like, like, thank right. you so much for doing that for me. That was so helpful. Or like you saved the day, whatever that is. Cause we really do have that aspiration 
to be a hero. That's why men literally sacrifice their time, their energy, their lives in service of love, because that is a form of appreciation and love that feels much deeper to receive than the simple words of, of I love you. Um, and, and, and the last piece on that kind of everything that you shared there was this piece. How can I put this? It's there is because men want respect our no, we oftentimes think that we garner more respect by the more that we do and the more available that we are. But sometimes the most respectable, respectable, respectable thing that we can do is flex that no, because it's like in respect and honor of ourselves. It's very respectable when you just receive a firm no from a man. And for, I think for in partnership, especially oftentimes, I think the red pill and the, and the simping and all that stuff is a product of men being yes to their woman all the time and then not feeling the reciprocal uh, respect that they really wanted or the love that they wanted and yearned for and then resenting the fuck out of that person and saying like, oh, all women are the same. They walk all over you. They're gold diggers. They'll take everything you can. It's like, well, you all you chose into that and you gave all that up. That was a choice. No one, no one forced you to do that. And then you create this idea of how it is in relationship like I've read all those books back in the day, like Rational Male and all that shit. Not because I was into that, because I wanted to understand how this stuff evolved and how these people think. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get to that place? And what I what I recognize is like those guys think that they're they're so sovereign and they're not they're the biggest simp's though. Like they're the 100%. big they're the <laughs> it's so it's so 100%. wild because they, they it, 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 it 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 to me it it. It presents as someone that just lacked really clear boundaries, like lacked self-respect to be the willingness to say no, the willingness to to place themselves above the neediness that they they want in relationship. And then they get burned about it because they they lack self-respect and they blame the other person and then they walk away and say that's the way it is. Yeah, totally, man. Like that. It's all biology. They just focus purely on biology. They take morality out of the question. But there's no morality in the red pill space. So they don't take in that a person has character, that they have morals, that they have a set of standards that they adhere to, right? Like biology is one thing, but when you have a strong sense of morality and values, that will override your biology. I could go sleep around as much as I want, but I don't. So I'm not this, I'm not a slave to my biology or my desire or my sexual proclivity to go and think that I'm an alpha because of how many, sleeping with lots of women is easy. It's, it's fucking easy. It's not hard at all. It's like, it may be hard to someone that's different to me, but it's like, it's not difficult. It's, it's really fucking not. And so it's like, if that's your goal for the quality of a man that you are, you're pleasure driven and you're like more like female based, you know, and that's it's Epicurean, you know, it's the fall of Rome um, that happened because we were just driven by pleasure. So go the opposite, be celibate, get married, have kids. It's way better. But the red pill takes out morality. And then you see like, the whatever podcast, you know, fresh and fit, you know, there is some of that behavioral dynamics that goes on. Some of it is accurate, but there are women out there that don't act that way as well. You know, I spoke to, I've spoken to a couple of people on this uh, that are full red pill. And I said, why do you go down that path? And they're like, well, women will take your stuff and they'll just leave you fucked. I'm like, okay, you don't have any stuff. Right. And it's like, if that's it, like if you were 50 million, like, and she took half of it, you got 25, you could make it again. Like, I wouldn't care. You know, I'm a super high income. I make a lot of money. I'm financially set. 
If she took half of it, I'd make it again. I've lost it and made it three times. You know, I'm not scared of that. And then the other thing is, okay, so you broke my heart. So I'm actually scared of getting hurt. So that's your alpha position. Really? That's, that's where you want to hate women from exactly. is your, being a little boy. You know, it's, yeah, it's exactly that piece. Yeah, it's it's the reactionary that you're talking about. It's 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 a at the beginning of this conversation. It's a reaction of to the fear of like being vulnerable and getting your heart broken. And you know, to your point around just any man that has actual status, you know, that's not feigned, isn't worried about the impact of they're they're not fighting for pennies and and scrounging, you know, for these things of uh, that might happen. What a what a what a miserable way to live your life. There's actually that kind of dovetails into this. Another kind of quote that I pulled from your Instagram. It says, don't chase women to satisfy an addiction to, to pleasure. That's weak. Instead, become worthy of being a husband. So the right woman shows up. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's so, you know, if like the, the true, if you really want to, the, the true way to go about that, that, cause I get the ethos, like focus on your, like there, there are a, a few positive benefits. Yeah. Focus on yourself. Like, you know, focus on your own capacity to offer value to the world. But you could take the whole women equation out of it. You don't even have to label that red pill. That's just what people should do anyway. Like, that's yeah. just what men should do anyway. You should never, never put relationship first. You should never be primarily focused on trying to get in relationship. I always have, under the belief that I'm like you, it's like that stuff's easy. It's easy to go meet women. It's easy to go to the bar and pick people up. It's easy to go. It, that, that's abundant. That's everywhere. That's normal. The hard thing, you want to take a challenge on as a man, get in a long-term relationship. You really yeah. want to be challenged? You want to, be, you want to uncover every little part of you that's disintegrated and, and not whole and fucked up and, and you can't hide from? Yeah, go get married. That's a real, yeah. that's a warrior's journey, man. <laughs> 100%. Same with being a father, you mm -hmm. know, and moving into that space. And it's like, that's right. To go back to the point, it's, you know, that's man psychology where it's like, and you know, you might through that time as you're trans, as you're transmuting that energy, you might go from, okay, cool. Like, um, I have to go from one relationship and then leave that relationship if that's not serving me, because that was part of the catalyst and fire of transformation. You know, that's, I recently split from my partner and we'd been together for three years. Um, you know, great woman, you know, I learned a lot with her and we'll have a, a really good friendship. And we left it in a place of saying, you know, look, let's, let's be integrous about this. You know, let's leave this with kindness and love. So we don't talk badly about one another. We had fights. Yeah. We had conflict in a relationship, conflicts, natural conflicts, normal. There were differences of opinion. There were difference in values, you know, that we had by the end of it. And, you know, there were certain elements to it that I didn't want to take on anymore. You know, namely someone else, another man's kids and, you know, relatively unstable ex-husband. And that wasn't for me. Still love her, still care about her. She's a great woman, but that, that wasn't just for me, you know? So I had to think long-term about what do, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to marry into this? Do I really want to take this on from that aspect? And part of me was just, it was biological. It was just like, mm, I just don't want to raise another man's kids. There's, a, there's something biological in it for me. And so we left it with love. We left it with respect. We left it with kindness. It was, there were difficult parts to it, but we're all good, you know? And that's, you know, you know, when you're getting to a place of mature psychology where it's more important to leave a relationship in a good space and honoring each other, as opposed to leaving it messy and blaming and all this other stuff. Right. And, you know, maybe you do that in your private life or with your therapist, but you don't let it spill out everywhere where you want to vilify one another. She brought a lot of beautiful things into my life, 
And so honoring that, then I don't take that into the next relationship, you know, because someone will end one badly and then they'll go into the next one, start it badly and then end it badly. And it just becomes a cycle. And so for me, it's like, you know, I am really in that space of, you know, now I'm monk or marriage. I'm celibate at the moment. So I'm monk or marriage and that's it. And so I'm in the process of building, building and repairing my body from all the jujitsu injuries. My father died early this year, processing that, as I was mentioning, processing a breakup, going through this fire of transmutation to rebuild um, and to go into something where I'm like, if I not, if when I meet the, the woman, it's going to be the mother of my child, which is, that's the next one. That's it. I'm not dating. I'm not getting out there. Not interested. I've got more important things to build rather than go out and try to distract myself. And so that's where I sit really deep in that transmutation process of what does it look like to be a good husband? What does it look like to be a good father? What do I want to take in? Cause I absolutely refuse to continue the lineage of the wounding from my own father and my own mother and their grandparents and World War II generation and the abuse that was handed down. I'm like, this ends with me. So whatever I need to do to make sure that that doesn't get passed down or as minimal as possible gets passed down, that's what I'll do. And that's what I saw in my previous relationship it was a very similar one to my family. And I just was like, I, I can't take this on and continue this any further. So I had to let her go with love. Yeah, it's interesting. One thing that really stood out to me there is this piece around so many men talk about like clarity on their mission and clarity on their purpose and clarity on so many things in their life, their fitness, their health, whatever. Like this is what I'm, they're driven, you know, all of that. And then when it comes to the like, relationally, there's also, it's completely out of integrity. It's not even out of integrity, but it's like a complete 180 where it's like, yeah, but then go be out in the world and date lots of women, da, da, da. And there's like not a lot of, and what I heard from you and what you shared is just like this crystal clear clarity, which is so refreshing and unique to hear from a man where it's just like, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I'm waiting for. This is what I don't want. And like, that's, that's a pretty bold uh, declaration to make, you know, like really look at things honestly and be like, you know what, actually, I, I'm not willing to take that on in my life. And, and this is what I'm really here for. And having that level of clarity relationally, I think for so many men, they just take whatever is given to them and there's like the scraps and they don't have that clarity. And then it comes back to that cycle and then they end up, the relationship blows up, they're resented, and then they, they start to form a whole opinion a whole idea of what the dating world is like what relationship is like how it has to go and how it's going to end messy and how you're going to end brokenhearted and of course that just becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy for most men right where they just tend to recreate that over and over and over again and there's a lot of other things contributing to that but it's so rare that you meet a man that's lives in that space it's like well if i'm not going to pour my sexual energy into a woman i'm going to pour that and, and transmute that energy into everything else in my life to create what i want to be on purpose to be on my mission and i think so many men miss that you know because they either go well i'm in a relationship with a woman and they you know they're kind of hyper feminized and in this neediness or they're like on only fan only fans or whatever else you know that kind of shit and all their energy is being dispersed in that other direction and then they're wondering why they're not magnetizing the women that they really want yeah, and I appreciate the reflection and picking up on that because it's a really important point. And only I would reflect back that a man with clarity could pick up on another man with clarity, you know, of where they're going, what they want, and to be able to see that. So I just want to reflect that back to you. So I really appreciate and respect that. And, you know, it's like I've done all that, you know, I'm very open about 
who I was, you know, I used to do that, you know, my nickname back 10, 12 years ago was the Wolf of Wall Street guy because I was in the investment world and, you know, I was a womanizer, I was sleeping around, I was doing all of that. I don't have a good history in that world if you look from 10 years ago onwards. I don't, and I own that. But I know what, I know through that bad behavior, what I would never want my son to be, what I will never be again. So to be 40 and to be single and being going, I'm monk or marriage right now and I'm celibate, I'm not interested in entertaining or distracting myself. I've got a lot of good things I can do with my time. The last thing that I need is to bring the chaos of dating into it. And then I just trust God or life or universe, whatever, you know, Monica, you want to name it. He's, that's going to drop in the woman because I'm in integrity. I'm clear on what I want. I'm like, monk or marriage, that's it. And I'm, I'm happy alone. I've slept around. I've done all that. I've sown my wild oats, so to speak. There's nothing for me in that world. You I don't know, think there's any, oh, I, anything for anyone, man. I've, I was in that world too. Like, you know, it was, that was my twenties for a good solid decade. And so, yeah. you know, and it's just like, there's, there's, there, there's a pretty clear and distinct end to that, that you hit and you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I could recreate this over and over again for the rest of my life. And I think for men that haven't had that opportunity, I mean, we're, we're not socially awkward. We're good looking dudes. Like it's probably comes easier to some than others. <clears throat> but for men that haven't experienced that, it's just like the people that talk about being super wealthy. They're like, it's not, you get here and it doesn't fucking matter. I would say like the, the same is, is like, yeah, you could have lots of women and then what, you know, and then, and then what you live in the, sh it's shallow, like everywhere else in your life. Right. It's yeah. like, it's, it's just, it's just a reflection of all the other areas where you just dip your toes and never actually get any depth of experience or, or experience true profound love or a woman that really is your ride or die you're not going to get that meeting women online or at the fucking bar like you're never going to have yeah. that experience there's a whole part of life that you're never even going to get exposed to and, and and i've never met a man that's in his 40s and 50s and beyond maybe not never but rarely meet a man who feels like that lifestyle is fulfilling you can just feel on him some part of him that's just completely unfulfilled and, and lonely and isolated and like look at dan blazarian or something like that like those kind of dudes yeah, just hey he's a miserable man he's a miserable dude you can yeah. see it all over him um, yeah yeah i agree with that and you know one of the things that i'm really strict on is in my inner circle i don't hang around extended periods with men that are out chasing women all the time those guys, like, they're pleasure-driven. They will betray you in a second. They're the sort of guys that would fuck your girlfriend behind your back. They'll be, they'll be making inroads. I've had, guy, I've had guys like that. One guy in the red pill was tried to do that to me, make inroads with my partner behind my back. Like, you know, it's that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, I, I just don't have time for that. So my inner circle of really close friends are either monk or marriage. That's it. They're either in tight relationships with kids um, or they're like me and they're single and they're in monk mode. They're not sleeping around. They're not dating or anything like that. They might go and have a, you know, a coffee with a woman that shows up to get to know her, but it's not right. I'm multiple dating and I'm sleeping with this woman with the goal to get her back so I can fuck her. It's not that it's, I'm going to actually qualify this woman. And if I feel like I want to qualify her further, then I'll go to the next, the next time to meet her. Then the next time to meet her. And then I'll see if we've got shared vision, shared values. We want the same things. We're at the right age. Is there, you know, good communication? Is there an opportunity for friendship? You know, is the respect and admiration there? You know, can, will, is she willing to follow? Be it, am I a good leader to inspire her to follow? Multiple different things. 
you'll get a lot of women out there in this kind of, you know, unfortunate day and age that are borderline or bipolar. Those are some of those women are the ones that cry the loudest that men don't lead, but they're the ones that aren't willing to be led. So you've also got to be careful with that relative to being a man and being able to identify that. And that usually comes from having daddy issues, you know? So if a woman doesn't have a relationship with her father, woof, man, it's not saying that it's impossible, but it's, it's a, it's a big red flag to start with if the dad's been absent, because chances are they'll be, you know, feminist. It'd be difficult for them to be led. And there might be elements of borderline personality disorder, which is there's a high correlation between borderline and absent fathers in girls. And if you're dealing with that, you're going to, you're probably going to have a rough time, you know? So that's why monk or marriage is really important. So you go monk mode and you start to qualify the woman, you know, you qualify her. It's like, it's not just cause she's hot and she's highly promiscuous and she wants to bang you that you jump in bed with her. It's like, no, 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 no. That's going to wear off within a couple of years. Can you guys journey together for a long term? And is she going to be a solid support for you where you pick up after each other? It's 100, 100, not 50, 50. And so it's a really important attribute to look at the quality of the men that you're around. One of my best mates just got engaged a couple of days ago and he, him and I were in the same process. He's, they haven't, um, they're celibate, they're getting married. And he's honored that, which I find, you know, really honorable and respectable. It's the kind of men that I hang around is people that do that. You know, I, I, I can't even think of someone in the last five years that I've hung out with a, a man that is in that realm of like chasing women. Like I haven't, there hasn't been anyone in that, my life like that for years. And I think that just speaks, <clears throat> excuse me, a test to just who, who I'm becoming. And I think that's a lot of men. Yeah. Uh, don't realize that the impact, I mean, it's such a cliche thing. Like you're the average of the five people, but it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's their, their experiences, whether you're, you're proximate to them or not, are having an impact on, and like, I don't, it it is that thing. Like you, you mentioned there's those kind of men that are living in that pleasure seeking reality, uh, priority, are, are the first guys that are like you make plans with and then drop you for a woman right away. Like, you know what I mean? Or, or, or exactly kind of sneak their way into interfering in your relationships. It's just not trustable energy. It's just not people that I want to keep around. I don't even know why you would. They don't make me a better man. Why would I hang around men that don't up me and challenge me? In fact, this morning, uh, you know Nick Warner. I think you've chatted with him a few yeah, times. Yeah. Him and I uh, started a company together with a couple of our other buddies and every single Monday we meet and uh, we just, we had all this sorts of stuff moving today just challenging clearing like just getting tuning each other up the idea of even conver- and we're all in long-term committed relationship our other buddy chris is you know he's engaged he's having a baby like we're all we're fucking men like yeah you know what i mean like we're we're men and I, I just it's so funny the reason i'm just sharing that is because when you mention that it's just hard for me to even remember and it wasn't that long ago you know five six years ago where i, I was swirling kind of in that world not personally as much but just having that around me and just like the the energy that just you know i think for for men and maybe you'd agree to this and i want you to speak on this a little bit about how you work with men and like what what you find in particular but a lot of it the first thing and i think the power of brotherhood like we were speaking to before is just getting around men that are aligned in that way right getting around men that are going to support you in uh going monk mode or like really getting clear on what you want in your life. One of the things that we we did with my teacher a lot is we do these feminine fasts where we would just cut, like you get out of a relationship, six months, you just cut everything yeah. out. 
you cut out alcohol, you cut out weed, you cut out women, you cut out, you're just transactional. It's just like, hello, thanks for the change at the grocery store checkout. You're not checking her out. You're not asking for a number. You're not even like flirting at all. You just go completely like completely monk mode in all aspects of your life and just be with that. Because not only does that allow you to put energy towards things that are really important, but it, it actually allows the stuff to come up that you've been numbing with through women which will inevitably come up in the relationship anyway. But I think that's such an important part of this too, is like, okay, if I clear the slate and there's just no distraction left, like what am I left with? It's kind of like meditating. It's like you get in your head and you're like, fuck, this is what's in here all day running the show. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm actually like, besides work stuff, I'm actually like two, two and a half months of that exact thing of like just being without really any feminine energy, unless I have to, do something that's important, right? You try and keep it as transactional as possible. Like I work with women, so it's a, a bit more difficult to just be like, nut, nah, that's it. So there are certain limits around it. And the way that I've uh, looked at that structure is like this um, monk mode where it's like, okay, if I have to sit down and talk to a woman, then it's going to be exactly that. It's going to be transactional. There's not going to be an intention there. There's not going to be a, a spilling out as, as best as possible because I do have to interact with women. But yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of that. I've got a guy I'm working with at the moment. He got out of a relationship and I said to him, you need to be alone for like three to six months. Cause once you one, if you're okay being alone as a man, then what, and this is like the feminine, uh, cleanse, uh, that you were saying you get okay being there. It's going to take a very fucking special woman to change that because once you get comfortable there, it's like, mate. It's, I think, I don't know who wrote it, but it's like a man that is fine in solitude is either a God or a beast or something like that, right? Like an animal or, or a God. And I agree with that because it's like, you go out, you conquer, you do your stuff, you have your hard days, you're around your brothers, you go and do all that. You're moving into purpose-driven life. At the end of the day, when I finish at like five or six o'clock, I sit on my couch with my dog and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah going to take a pretty magical woman to make me want to change this um mm -hmm. which she'll come along i know she will but it's like when you're comfortable there it's almost like you're invincible it's content and right you're just so contented with like yeah i i think so few men have had the experience of truly being satisfied with themselves with it's that emptiness without needing anything else right and when yep. and from that place that's when you can love a woman that's the yeah. thing. It's like, yes, you'll get the woman. Like she'll need to be a special woman, but you'll be able to need a lover because you don't need anything. You know that you're so good alone. And then it's just like my cup runneth over. You know what I mean? And that's what, and then that's real providership. That's real holding. That's real. Like, you know what? I'm choosing this relationship because my life is so full. And now I just want to bring something that will, will amplify it in a way that I can't create for myself. And in my opinion, the whole world would be a better place if that was the only place that we pursued relationship from as men. hundred percent. And it's really important as well as, you know, you get tested too by life. Life will start to test, you know, very quickly after I got out of my relationship, I had another woman show up. She's absolutely beautiful, but in exactly the same situation as how I met my ex, you know, difficult breakup right in the midst of it. All this sort of stuff was going on. And I was like, I can see what you're doing, not doing it. Like it was just, a, mate, it was like, no, nah, not doing it. No way. And it was, you know, these little tests come through. And so now I'm like six months, same thing. I'm like, I'm not, 
Like, I don't care if I go monk mode for two years. It doesn't bother me. I'm not setting a time limit on it. But that six months is a good, is a good amount of time where it's like three months is too short because the finish line is always in view. Six is like, okay, cool. Like six is like, let's explore this. Let's see what goes on. And I find that when you're not distracted by that, you know, I'll spend 30 minutes, 30 to 60 minutes a day doing mobility and stretching, 30 to 60 minutes a day doing breath work and embodiment practices, 30 to 60 minutes a day doing some kind of strength work, you know, 120 minutes a day working, you know, and then I'll have 60 to 120 minutes of downtime where I'm just either reading or like just contemplating or whatever it is. And then in between that's usually spent, you know, playing with my dog, getting out, seeing friends, doing a bit of socializing, driving, whatever it is that I need to do and try and find people that organize their day like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you it's not very common. No, you it's won't. Or it's all work. It's like, you know, get in the office at eight, you know, and then work till 8 PM. And then you've got a wife and kids that hate you because you're never at home and you're not connecting. You get home, you sit on the couch, then you're on your phone because you want to be distracted and numbing out. There's no intentionality there. There's no clarity. There's no, there's no leadership. There's no, yeah, I got this. Don't worry. Kind of attitude. It's like, I'm just trying to survive. And men can't relate because they're so full at that point. Like the woman wants to be full. The man wants to be empty. Right. And if the man's full up with everything and stress and distraction and all of that, it's very difficult to empty that out without a drastic life circumstance coming in like sickness or divorce or, and usually one of those two, if not both happen when a man extends himself too far. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he has to, you know, he doesn't have to, but so often men don't really make that shift until they hit absolute crisis, rock bottom. And, and unfortunately some of that stuff is, is pretty fucking irreversible, especially when it comes to, you know, the breakdown of relationship, they're, they're like, they're, they're full, they're full, they're full. And then she all of a sudden is out. Right. And then they're left on their own and they have to pick up the pieces of their life. And if there's kids involved, what a fucking disaster. Right. And all of that could have been avoided if they were only, Really, what it comes down to and what I'm hearing is like actually just putting yourself first. Like, how are you going to lead anyone else if you're not leading yourself? If you're, if you, who, who in the world is committing three hours a day to their own fucking strength, conditioning, self-care, you know, taking care of themselves? You can do that. You know, you have that. That is emptying. Those are all emptying practices, right? Where you're actually available to to not only generate in your relationship, but I also believe like generate, you know, wealth, generate abundance, generate purpose, right? And so I'm curious, like saying all that, you run men's groups, correct? That's what you were saying. So what do you notice or where do you take men kind of from beginning when they get in? Like what kind of, what do guys usually come in with and like, what do you offer them? Because a lot of this, what we're talking about is kind of high level theoretical. And maybe there's some guys listening to this and they're like, oh fuck, well, like, what do I do? You know, what do I do? So I'm curious what, what you would offer people. Yeah. So what I run through is like an education process. The first thing, so I do I, like, so I'll just sort of clean that up a little bit. I'm, I've, run masculinity containers that are usually eight weeks. I've only done two in the last 12 months, but the group I've got at the moment is so good that I'm going to turn it into a men's group. So I'm going to do it as, like, I haven't been part of a men's group, um, formally, but what I'm going to do is sort of sit with men that get to spend a bit of time unloading what's going on. And then I'll offer a bit of reflection of like some programming that's going on, what to do, be a bit directional with them just to be a bit different. Cause I know there's a lot of men's groups out there where a man gets it out. And then maybe there's no solution to it, or it's just thanks for sharing, man, where they can just get it out. But I find that there's a real uh, desire and a need for men to go, hey, I get it out, but now what do I do? You know, because a lot of, the, a lot of men's groups I've seen, especially where I live, they've turned more into women's groups, you know, where it's just a bunch of hens clucking and just saying, supporting the problem, 
And this happened with my ex and, and her ex-husband. The men were going, she'll come back. Don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. It's just a phase. She's going to... And we were already together. So this men's group was supporting him in his delusion. And that's very, that's dangerous. That's not good. You know, and when him and I had a confrontation around it, I said, she told me that she, this was done. And he goes, that's what she's told everyone. And I said, yeah, and you're not listening to her. But he didn't want to listen. And so he would had confirmation bias of where he was getting his information. And the men in that group should have been saying, leave her alone. She's in another relationship. Respect that. And leave her alone. Instead, he was just a, a tyrant for ages, right? So it can be quite dangerous in those spaces if the right men, if the wrong men are at the helm versus the right men. And so where would I take them in the, in the groups? So the group will be like a supportive aspect and one where I actually provide direction for them because I think men need that. In the containers that I run, the first things we look at, we go through like a graduation process. The first thing is to look at and understand the enemy, which is the attack on masculinity. Masculinity is not the enemy. Masculinity is the answer, but it's the attack. So we have to look at, you know, like those stats I read out before, you know, the qualities of what healthy masculinity is and then making men understand and be comfortable with and realizing that masculinity is fucking awesome. It's a part of nature for a reason. Like that's, I almost want to try and trademark that masculinity is fucking awesome because it is. It's fucking good to be a man. On a t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would, maybe that's what I'll call my group, my men's group, masculinity. <laughs> but it's like, you know what it's like, man. You know, we've, we're probably similar in our journeys. We've been through it. You know, I know Nick and Nick's probably been through a similar journey to what we have as well and probably all the men you've been around. We've been through it. We've transcended it. And once you get through it and into in these upper levels of like, you know, high level uh, knowledge of what it takes to be a man, being a man's fucking awesome. Like I, I fucking love being a man. I'm super comfortable being a man. Why? I want other men to feel this where it's like, I'm self-reliant. I can get shit done. I'm highly qualified. I'm skilled in what I do. I've mastered my craft. I'm disciplined. I'm empty most of the time. And I've got the practices and people around me that support that. Plus I'm financially set. There's not many of us around, right? We're, we're very tiny. We're less than 1%, less, probably less than 1.1% that have a healthy balance as well of emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, masculine intelligence, and embrace our biology and our psychology and have transcended our wounding for the large part. And so what men need to go through is to embrace this and go, it's good to, to understand your aggression. It's good to be dangerous, but not a danger, as Jordan Peterson says. It's good to understand that, yeah, you know what? This was my boy psychology and fucking own it right? It's good to be honest and have integrity and call yourself out when you fuck up. You know, it's like, I've been on a pretty strict carnival diet. I had a fucking block of Kit Kat chocolate last night, right? Cause I was just like, you know what? I just want some fucking chocolate. So I go and do it. Right. And just own it and go, you know what? I'm going to fucking enjoy this while I'm doing it. It's good to be a man. And our whole society is saying that, you know, there was a, a newspaper article, which Nick reposted actually. And it, it had a picture of like maybe a 10 year old boy on the cover in Australia saying, we need to stop this boy becoming a monster. Right. And no, he hadn't I done anything that. wrong. We just, yeah, man. It's like, it's like, this is what we're up against. And so this is what men like us are doing, which it's like, it's such an honor to know someone like you that's doing the work and presenting in what I agree with. You know, obviously I'm going to be biased because we have a similar message, but it's so important right now. But it's, it's what men do. Like we have to stand in the face of it. And people, people ask me, I had a, a good mate of mine go, I don't know how you deal with all the comments. I said, I could take an easier path. I could go the Aubrey Marcus route and be all about, 
you know, like worship of the feminine and all this sort of stuff and be feminine and flowy and whatever it is. But it's like, no, that's, I can't do it's that. It's not I who you are, man. <laughs> it's not, like, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. I have to do what's difficult because that's what my soul calls me to do because it's important for society right now. And so this is what I take men into is that masculinity is fucking awesome. Being a man is the safest thing you can be. Yeah. It is the safest. It's like being a boy is not safe. Being an overly effeminate man is not safe. Being a man is the safest, safest part of you that you can bring out and honoring that and owning that. And just to go back, you know, it's like being around the right men. I was actually inspired by your post, um, which is what I reposted yesterday. I said, being around the wrong people can be absolute chaos. And, you know, there'd been people in my life where I noticed when I was around them, even for a few hours, I'd instantly start to get a hangover afterwards. It's strangest thing. It's never happened to me before. It was only with one person. And after I was around them, I'd be like, I'd wake up and I'm like, I feel like I've had six beers. And I'm like, it was really strange. I'm like, oh, that's an energetic hangover mm -hmm. from being around this person. And I'm like, oh, this is, this isn't good. And so I run them through this space of like, it's firstly, it's okay to be a man. Understanding like you've got to know why men are under attack, why masculinity is under attack, what the agendas are. You've got to do that. You've got to play that out. It's like Sun Tzu, know your enemy. You have to know your enemy if you're going to win in battle, right? Because the win over yourself is one thing. If you know your enemy and not yourself, then you'll be satisfied in victory, but then you're going to need to keep fighting. If you know yourself, but not your enemy, then that's not going to satisfy you as well. But know your enemy and know yourself, then you start to win. And it's one of the really important things to do in this is, and this is what I said to um, around my ex's ex-husband that was coming after me all the time. I'm like, you know, I can handle myself physically. And so he'd be on the receiving end of a, a pretty good hiding if I wanted to give him one. But then I was thinking legally, do, do I go after him? And I, I really embodied Sun Tzu's um, Art of War quote, which is never get in the way of an enemy while he's destroying himself. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it's not about fighting against what society is bringing. It's about being what society says is bad which is healthy masculinity, being a strong man, all of that's, oh, that's toxic masculinity. Great. Well, then I'm toxic, Yeah, you know, and I'm going to embrace that. Oh, <laughs> that reminds me, man. I was recording an episode a couple days ago. I drove, drove to a guy's house out in Virginia. His name's Josh Tyler. He's an ex-MMA fighter. Really, really yeah, cool we'll dude. Yeah, You know who he's he awesome. is? Yeah, yeah. So we just hung out and he's he says, hey, do you want a water? And I said, sure. And he hands me this water bottle he had custom made. It's these little aluminum water bottles and it just has a skull and crossbones and it just says toxic masculinity on it. I, I took a couple more and I kept them because I'm like, these are fucking awesome, man. But to that point, you know, uh, you said a lot there, but there's a few things that I picked up on. This piece around like... um the uh, a safe man is a masculine man and i think part of that is is when you say it feels good to be a man it's like there's something about like the integrity that feels almost it's like the integrity with my creation if that makes sense like the integrity with my dna it feels feels it's just ancestral that like when i'm doing things that make me feel like a man and it's hard to if, if you're not a man, I think all men can resonate. Like there's just certain things like you do and you're like, wow, I feel like a man, whatever that is. I feel that thing right now. There's a particular energetic, a particular frequency that like you kind of touch on sometimes. It's never doing fucked up shit. Like it's never like, I feel like a man because I 
hurt this woman or I feel like a man because I, I stole money like that. You there's, there's a, when you get quiet enough and you really listen. And I think when you, when you're clear in who you are, the things that I associate where I feel my best and feel most, like I literally feel the testosterone surging. I feel my balls. I feel like I feel powerful. It's always doing the right fucking thing. Like everything else is a distortion. Like the, the, you know, yeah. Like it feel, it might feel good to be sneaky and like, you know, whatever and conniving and, 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 but at the end of the day, you wake up the next morning and it's that same hangover, right? It's that hangover. It's like something just feels misaligned. Something feels off. Something feels out of integrity. But when you start stepping into that clarity of like the things that make me feel powerful, protecting, presiding, providing kind of like, you know, what Ryan Mickler has those words, those kind of things. Um, the things where I feel like, like I've always been surprised when there's clearly something happening in the space like confrontation and nobody does it i'm the first person usually to step in into some sort of confrontation unless it's completely not my business but if there's like a power dynamic going on like i just yep. inst- i can't not do it i have to interfere and i'm always amazed by how many men don't and how good they would feel if they did it get, like it, it actually feels good it feels right it feels pure it feels harmonious and to me that is like the ultimate masculine expression. So that whole, and I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, but that whole like compass exists internally. And if we were just to listen enough, if we just got, if we had the emptiness and got the noise out, the things that we need to do to feel good about ourselves. And I think from a biological level, from a psychological level are already, we've got millions of progenitors of people that came before us that lived in a particular way to make us who we are. And it's men. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and if we, and if we just listen and honor that, the the path is easy. We don't actually need someone to really teach us. I really believe we're so misguided. We do have to have people bring us back. But if we really were just like quiet enough, that stuff exists in us. We kind of just know how to operate. And like you said, it's all the programming, all the propaganda all the kind of stuff that tells us to be different than how we innately feel in our body. And I, and I would say the same for women. I would say the same for whoever, right? Like there's a way that you act that feels really good. And it just happens to align with these masculine archetypes or whatever like that. That's not a coincidence. A hundred percent. And that's a, it's such a good point. It's like, how good do you feel when, you know, you feel like you can walk through walls when you're in that space and it's like, mate, I could walk through that wall easily and I wouldn't feel anything. You probably can't, but like you feel like you can, right? It's like when you say that, like, you know, you're going to do something and you see the day out and you go, I fucking did this, you know, or when someone's like, you could almost be sneaky about something and you go, I don't want to engage, but you know what? This, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compromise myself anymore. You know, and a lot of men compromise themselves for sex or validation or the woman dominating them or whatever it is, right? It's like when you operate in integrity and you're honest and you own your stuff, right? Because men have a big thing around shame, right? And shame when it's unhealthy and unprocessed, it'll generate humiliation. So it's going to start bringing in situations of humiliation. Shame when it's owned and transmuted generates situations of humility. Like when I uh, mentioned before about, you know, I used to be a womanizer. You know, I used to do that. I used to have a rotation of five, six, seven women going at one time because I thought that that was the way for me to step into the world and be like, okay, 
this is who I am. This is how I become a powerful man. And one of the things that I get a lot of feedback on uh, with people that I work with is that they say they like my honesty around me owning my stuff. And I could sit there and pretend to be the perfect, you know, masculine representation and nothing wrong. And it's like, no, I've struggled with aggression and anger before. And like you said, it's not good to be in street fights or beating someone up for the purpose of it. Restraint is when you feel, yeah, I didn't spill out and get reactive. And that's where I feel powerful and I feel good about myself by doing things like that and exemplifying what it means to be a man. Other times, you know, I haven't, I can still get pissed off. You know, someone tried to box me in the other day when I was going 120 kilometers an hour, which is a little bit too fast in my car. And it was like, they were boxing me and I was trying to get around it, you know? And it's like, fuck, like fucking moron like that. And it's like, okay, cool. That's all right. I'm still human. I'm not hurting anyone, but I own my stuff. Absolutely. You know, I own my stuff. That's important, right? We're going to have all spectrums, but that inner compass is we don't need other people doing it. You just got to learn to listen. And one of the things I've really noticed with this is I think maybe there's been one or two interruptions in our whole conversation. You'll get someone that doesn't listen that will just keep talking over, talking over, talking over. That's a man that's full, that can't sit and listen and wait and be patient and be present with someone. And they're going to need to be heard and need to be heard. And, oh yeah, I, 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 like that, right? That's a good indicator of a man that's either present and empty or that's full and chaotic. Is someone that can't listen. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's this piece around the unpacking shame because shame is something I think all men for sure deal with. I, I feel like it's kind of the prevalent, one of the prevalent pains that men endure um, and create and amplify by trying to hide it, which only makes it worse. And then it comes out sideways and all. There's so much that comes from that. But uh, to that point around owning it, I get the same reflection from people. It's just like there's just this I, I can pretty much speak about anything that I've done historically, which some of the stuff I'm not really proud of, but I can speak of it openly. And one of the first things that I do with every single men's group, anytime I start a new group, first call, first practice, what I don't want you to know about me. And then you have to go for two minutes where you just that's the prompt. And I go first all the time. So it's like the, the darkest shit that like, I hid from people for so long and that I take the stand first like I'm going first here's what I don't want you to know about B and I, yeah. I like the whole thing around that to me that's like integral leadership it's like here's all the ways that I fucked up in my life because when I when you go through a group of 10 12 15 dudes and you all do that the same shit comes up over and over and over again and it immediately dissipates the shame where we all get dropped down to the same level I'm off the pedestal yeah. Anybody that you're making judgments about, you see with the fucked up parts about them and you can see the guys, some of the stuff they've never said to a group, like to anybody, let alone a group of men that they just met, but such a powerful way just to level the playing field. You know what I mean? And then when they can own that immediately, there's a lot of levity, a lot of lightness because it's like, fuck, we're all fucked up. And like, honestly, especially the guys coming to this work, they're oftentimes the guys that are you know, have been working through most of the shit and are willing and ready to own it. That's why they show up there. But what that gives you access to when you can speak about that stuff and when you can actually laugh about it, because that was the same thing. I was, those, you know, one woman in the morning, one woman at night, all this kind of stuff, like just total, a shit bag, man, like just a total asshole, like, you know, totally disrespectful. Um, but dude, it's, it I had to go through that. And not only that, but it actually, it's, it's made me and all the other men I work with bond closer because it's relatable. Right. And, and once you dispel shame from your life, and it's not that I don't have bouts and moments where I'm like, and I feel that come up, 
But once you've really got a, a, a handle on that, that's where a lot of that walking through walls energy comes through from. Because like yeah. you dispel shame in your life and you're just like, oh fuck, like what what can't I do? Because I'm not I'm not a caricature. I'm not trying to be a man. I'm not. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not trying to pretend things. I'm not trying to hide things. And talk about attracting a quality partner. Women can sniff that shit out right away too, you know. And so like they 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 feel that texture and they'll pull that thread. And then what do men do? They get super defensive. They get big. They get aggressive. They get loud because they're trying to keep the facade alive. And so. I just think I just wanted to to speak to that one piece around shame because I think it's so important for men to to work with and clear that specifically. Hundred percent, you know, it's such a good point because I do like group mentorships and private mentorships, and in the private ones, I hold a a um, condition that we talk about where we lied or where we bullshitted or something. Even like, yes, yeah, nice to see you, and it wasn't nice to see someone. And I I run a program of strict honesty. And if someone's like, did you enjoy hanging out with me? You go, no, I didn't. You be honest, right, about your interactions. Do not say nice to see you. How you going? You're good. You go, how you going? You know what, man, I fucking didn't sleep very well. I feel like shit, but I'm not going to speak about it because it's not the place to do so. So it's very important. So the minute you start to own things relative to that, because humiliation generates humility, and humility will then lead to humor. Like we've had a couple little sessions where, you smile or laugh at something that I'm saying I did and vice versa because it's so similar where, yeah, we were shitbags in the past and whatever, but now it's like you can laugh about it because it's like I would never do it again, but it's like a caricature that we develop. So there's humor in it. And one of the most important things around shame because humiliation, humor, humility come from the root word hum, which means to ground. And so when there's shame, it's like hang your head in shame. Where are you looking? At the ground. It's actually to bring you back down to earth. And I actually had a conversation with a woman where I said, if you've got friends around you that you go through a breakup and they say, go sleep with someone, they're fucking toxic and you should get rid of them. And she was like, oh, you're shaming people. I'm like, I know shame is a good thing. When you shame someone, I would want someone to shame me if I was acting like a fuckwit. If I was doing toxic stuff, shame keeps um, moral standards in check. If there was no such thing as shame, we'd have cannibals out there, pedophiles out there doing whatever they want. People, there'd be no social structure of morality. Take out shame, morals go out the window as well. And so shame is an important thing. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I think that shame is an important thing. I want someone to shame me if I'm doing something bad and I'll be sure as hell to shame someone for doing what they're doing. Now, I'll also guide them through that in a healthy way to say, this is why it's unhealthy. Not just you're a shitbag, you're whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like that behavior shit. It's immoral. You shouldn't be doing it. And here's why. And this is what you should do in place of that. So it's confront confrontation, suggesting complaint, offering resolution, leading them out of it to make them better. Not just hammering someone for it, but going and sleeping with someone like get under someone to get over someone. Worst advice ever. And if you're around that, mate, you need to really question who you're around. And a lot of women say that. I hear more from women than men these days. I, I also have heard that a lot, like that, uh, this, uh, as if that's going to be some sort of healing bomb. I love that piece around shame, though. Have you ever read the book Shantaram? No, I haven't. I've seen so it's coming to my view so many times. I think he's, I a, he's an Aussie guy, and he and he escapes prison, or he might be Kiwi. He might be from New Zealand, but anyway, he escapes prison. And he flees to India, flees to India. He's hiding out there, and it's like it's semi autobiographical biographical so I don't know how much of it is true and not but there's this one scene that that makes me think about this relationship to shame where this guy sexually assaults his wife 
and mm-hmm. they the the commute and he's in the slums of of uh of delhi right so like crazy mm-hmm. huge slums but really tight communities and they pull him out you know she comes running down crying and, and upset and they pull him out of the house and they they beat him just enough to hurt him a little bit you know what i mean but like give him a good beating and then they like parade him around and then they go and they heal him and they help him heal and rehabilitate and integrate him back into the society. But they give him like a good day or two of just shaming him and kicking his ass just to like set him straight and to to make, you know, an example of like this is the moral standard that we're holding. But they don't leave it at that. They don't exile him. They don't kick him out. They don't he doesn't become the rapist or whatever like that. You know, they reintegrate him and they help him heal and bring him back into the community. And I think there is such a a powerful teaching in that that like yes there a level of shame a level of that's what keeps our moral fabric alive in a lot of ways or otherwise like you said people would just be running wild and it's important to feel you know in my experience it's important to feel and touch on that the parts of me that are shame because there's deep and wise teachings in that but not to become like a shameful person, which is the distinction. I don't live in that. It's not who I am. I made mistakes. I did things that I'm not proud of. Good. Now I can learn from that, you know, recommit to my life. Because if I just am like, oh, no shame, no shame, then I'm, I'm never, who the fuck grows from that? You're, you're going to be the same person for the rest of your life. 100%, man. And that's a really good point. It's like, you know, I look at Andrew Tate and he used to run a OnlyFans or something like that. And he goes, I'm not apologizing for that. So I was. I would be sitting there going, I'm really sorry for what I did, you know, and I am really sorry for what I did to other people. I've hurt a lot of people in the past. I've hurt a lot of people and I'm incredibly sorry for what I've done. But the greatest apology that I can make is changed behavior, not wallowing in it, not repeating it, not saying one thing, doing another. And as a man, it's very important. Your actions must match your words. You know, there's the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, which is number one is be impeccable with your word. I always say to that, to be impeccable with your word is to realize you'll never be fully impeccable with your word. That's really the way through. But your actions have to match your words. And it's like, to go right back to what you said about women, it's like, you know, they think differently to men. They're more emotional. So you can't expect them to be as consistent as a man is. If you're consistent, you'll realize that they can't be as consistent as you. You know, so these are the ways that we need to look at it. And it's very important to note those aspects around how we operate in the world. So... I always say best apology is change behavior and that's the best thing we can do. Own it, admit it, wear it if you need to for a bit without victimizing yourself, change your behavior. And like, you know, where I'm at now is monk or marriage 10, 15 years ago. I never would have seen myself doing that, but that's an honoring of like myself. And then that will extend out to the woman that I'm with and my children when I have them. Beautiful, brother. Well, I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff for hours, but I do want to honor both our times. It's 10 after 8 p.m. here at Nassau. I'm going to start to wind down for the evening. Um, Cool, brother. Well, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Just share a little bit about, you know, some of your offerings and stuff if people want to know more about what you're up to in the world. Cool. So Pure Jaguar on Instagram, P-U-R-E-J-A-G-U-A-R. I'll be doing another masculinity container and some men's groups coming up, which I am going to start because I think that's super important. Um, private one-on-ones, I'm still, I'm always running those. So those are, those are available as well. Um, and generally on Instagram, if you want to get rocked and triggered a little bit, then, uh, head on over to my page because you'll, it'll certainly happen. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyone listening or watching this highly recommend following Jaguar on Instagram. It's always uh, a dumpster fire in the comments, but, uh, some, some hard, powerful truths that uh, the world needs to hear. So thank you so much for being here, brother. Thank you for all the work that you do in the world. 
And I, I appreciate you being on this episode of the Undomesticate podcast. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I could have, we could have easily gone over 90 minutes. Like I could go for another three, four hours, but I appreciate your time. And it's late at night. Um, really appreciate you, man, the work you're doing. Um, very honored to connect with you as well, man, and have so much respect for you, bro, and what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah, likewise. We'll do this again. We'll make sure of it. Love to. All right. Hey, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jag today. I know some of his takes can be kind of controversial to hear the first time, but what I love about Jag is you can really feel his heart and truth in all of it. Of course, let me know what you think. Shoot me a DM, shoot me a comment anywhere you listen to this podcast. And thanks again for listening to another episode of the Undomesticate podcast. And as always, stay sovereign.